Hello to my listeners. This is Pastor Randy Starkey. I did these teachings on the end times and the return of Christ in several series several years ago when I was pastoring at Victory Church in Peavely, Missouri. One third of the Bible is prophecy, so we really need to be familiar with it, especially as it relates to our soon coming future. Although a few of my comments in some of these messages may be a bit dated, and a few of my ideas are still developing, the truth of God's Word never changes. And there are at least three things that I remain strongly convinced of. All three of these I will touch on in these messages. So number one is this. The prophecies concerning the first coming of Christ were fulfilled literally in real life and in real time. So I have no doubt the prophecies concerning the end times and the second coming of Christ will be fulfilled in exactly the same way in real life and in real time as the Bible describes. I believe it is a huge mistake to spiritualize away end time prophecy. The books of Daniel and Revelation are for sure filled with symbolism, but those symbols represent real events that are going to happen in real time. And it's all getting closer. And number two, I believe God's people will be raptured, caught up to be with the Lord before God's wrath is poured out on the terrible sin and evil in our world. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 says Jesus delivers us, not just protects us, delivers us from God's wrath to come. However, I don't believe that will exempt us from Satan's wrath and persecution of true believers and the revealing of Antichrist before the rapture happens. That persecution and pressure we are actually beginning to see happen even now. That is why Jesus said things like we must endure to the end, be ready, watch and pray, don't be deceived, and that we must be about our Father's business and not draw back. And then finally, number three is this. God is not done with Israel. Jesus was Jewish. God loves the Jewish people and the land of Israel. When Jesus returns, that's actually where he's going to land, on the Mount of Olives. There's much to say about Israel and the Middle East, and all of that is coming very fast. And so, I, as I said, I will cover all three of these points in these messages. And these are things that we need not be afraid of when we have surrendered our heart and life to Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and we're walking close to Him. We have His direction, His guidance, His love, His grace, His power. And the Bible even says, look up for your redemption draws nigh. However, in these days, we all need to be walking really close to Jesus. And let me say a word to any of you listening today that maybe you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. 
Maybe you've even been hurt in church, or maybe it's been all religion to you. Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. And Jesus wants you to know him. He is the only way to have your sins forgiven. He is the only way that you can get to heaven. None of us can be good enough on our own. He is the only way to really experience victory in your life and be prepared for eternity. He left heaven, came to earth, gave his life on the cross for you, shed his blood for you that you could be saved and be forgiven. The Bible says there's no other name given under heaven whereby we must be saved. It's the name of Jesus. He's the true Savior. So I pray you will open your heart to him, receive him as your Lord and Savior. Allow him to forgive your sins so that you can be ready when he returns. It's really not a pretty picture and there is much to be afraid of because God is God and sin must be dealt with. And so without Jesus, we really are in a world of hurt. So open your heart to him today. Hey, a good way to find out more about that, just go over to our church, Victory Church here in Peavely. And uh, uh, they have an awesome, uh, Pastors Dan and Paige Lord are doing a great job. There's an awesome little book there you can pick up free called Fresh Start. It will give you everything that you need to get you going on your walk with Jesus. So all of this is why we must not only be saved, but be spiritually strong, awake, alert, and serving God. That's why I did these teachings. We have to stay strong in Jesus to know what's coming soon in the end times. And like Noah built the ark to the saving of his household, we must stay close to Jesus in the building of his church because the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. And that is our forever family. So listen carefully and then check it all out in the Bible for yourself. God's love and blessings to each of you as you dive into these teachings. Amen. All right. Well, it's good to see everybody again. We're going to be in Daniel 3 and 4 tonight. Um, I didn't get much chance last week to um, talk much about the statue. And this this guy is, um, I mean, this is an artist's rendition of, of uh, the vision, you know, that um, King Nebuchadnezzar had there in chapter 2. It's not in color, <clears throat> so you have to kind of, if you remember, the head of gold, you know, and the uh, chest of silver and all that. So if you've got some really nice coloring crayons, you can <laughs> color it sometime, you know. And uh, I, I didn't have a real good one, a good one in color, but uh, <clears throat> it's a picture, you know, it's a spiritual picture. And, you know, Jesus taught in parables. So pictures are used um, a lot in the Bible to illustrate spiritual truth. And uh, we talked last time how this is the whole time of the Gentiles, you know, all the way from Nebuchadnezzar's time <clears throat> all the way up to even now. And um, the different metals, you know, really uh, they express the different aspects of the times of the Gentiles with Rome, of course, being iron was very cruel. But actually, you know, what we're seeing here in the degradation of the metals 
is, is the Gentile powers. We know how chaotic our world is today, right? So the Gentile powers having less and less control over the way things are. I mean, like what happened in the Iraqi parliament today. People stormed out. They couldn't agree on anything, you know. And um, so, uh, you know, very difficult in these days, you know, to have any kind of unity. The best hope for unity is a nation that will honor and serve God. And so uh, that's why we need to pray for Iraq, that not only will they understand democracy, but, but that they uh, will also understand you know, the principles of the kingdom of God and the Bible. But anyway, there, and, and, and of course, this is all leading up to God's restoration of Israel. And we'll pick up a lot of that as we get further into Daniel. But uh, to me, this is an amazing prophetic picture of history, you know, all in one dream. And so uh, I wish I did have a better picture of it in color if I can find one. Um, I've searched for one and haven't found one, but if I could find a good one. Uh, I'll print it out in color maybe before the class is over if I can find a good one. And then the outline uh, <clears throat> we started on last week. Uh, you know, as we're, we're going to be going through this. And last week we looked at Daniel and his friends' preparation for ministry. We looked at how Daniel's ministry began where he interpreted uh, the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had of the times of the Gentiles. And this week we're going to look at uh, how Daniel's friends are put to the test in the fiery furnace, which of course is a very famous Bible story. And then we're going to look at how uh, Daniel's ministry continues uh, and how he interprets the second dream that, uh, that Nebuchadnezzar has. And so, you know, we, we haven't, you know, it'll be in, the, in some future chapters here that we'll get into uh, some more prophecies and, and particularly some of the end time type stuff that Daniel um, is well known for, but I just want to make a point, you know, uh, as we continue on here, that you can't separate prophecy from living for God. You know, I mean, our, uh, the two go together. And of course, Daniel, um, who was given some awesome prophecies uh, by the Lord, he was a man who really lived for God. So it doesn't really do any good just to, you know, study prophecy or have a prophecy class or whatever, um, <clears throat> you know, uh, without living for the Lord too. So, you know, I mean, God's not just interested in us only knowing what's going to happen in history and in the future, but he's also interested in our hearts, you know, that we'll live for him. So I think that's why the book of Daniel is, has, has these different aspects where you see um, uh, these four guys really living for God and, of course, also the great prophecy um, that's in the book. And... Um, you know, last week, uh, by the way, I, I don't know if I mentioned this last week, but Daniel was actually probably under 20 years old when he first got started here in chapter 1. So he's very young, and um, that's why it's important to start our kids off young, teaching them the things of God, because uh, I believe that, that the youth and the younger generation, that as we train them and teach them, they will play a very big part, you know, um, in what's going to happen in, in the end times, and we have to pass that baton. And so, uh, actually, there's many scholars who think Daniel was actually a teenager when he, when he first was in captivity. So uh, that's kind of an interesting point. And then before we jump on one more chapter, too, you know, I want you to just see, how, once again, how the favor of God was on Daniel's life. And uh, we're going to see he gets himself in, you know, some hot water. But uh, at the same time, 
uh, that's a good thing just to kind of believe God for in your own life. Now, Daniel did prepare for it. He read the word of God. He, you know, sought to grow in the Lord. He just wasn't some kind of, you know, couch potato expecting God to do everything for him. You know, he did prepare himself, but the favor of God was upon his life. And um, as the children of God, you know, we should also believe God that he will put his favor on us. Just as he wants to, uh, just as he did release his grace and favor in Daniel's life and use him mightily. You know, he wants to do the same thing um, for us. So don't be a person who's expecting things to go wrong. Don't be a person who's expecting that, you're not, that your life can't count. You know, don't be a person who's expecting bad things. Be a person who has an expectation of the favor of God and that God can work through you and use you just as he did Daniel. Okay, so let's um, turn over to chapter 3, and we're going to move on um, here. And uh, let's just begin with a word of prayer. And uh, by the way, we, do, we, do, uh, we got a good tape from last week, so if you weren't here, um, you, can, you can order those tapes. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for this night. We thank you for your word. Thank you for the awesome revelation and understanding we can get of life, of history, and of the future from your word. Thank you for the encouragement and strength, Lord, we can get to live our lives uh, for you and your hand uh, of power and goodness and strength that will be upon us as we trust in you and live for you. And so, Lord, tonight I do, I do pray, open your word to us. Give us revelation and encouragement, strength and understanding as we look into your word tonight. We thank you for it. I pray, I pray bless us tonight, Father, as we look in your word in Jesus' name. Hey, everybody said... Amen. All right, so let's pick it up in chapter 3, and uh, <clears throat> we'll just read here, and I'm reading out of the uh, New King James Version. And it's, there's actually some comical, almost comical aspects of some of these stories, you know, uh, at least from a New Testament perspective, you know, and, uh, but they're just, just great stories with great principles. All right, Nebuchadnezzar, the king, made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits, and its width, six cubits. It's about 90 feet tall, okay? That's about uh, four times the height of this building, okay? Uh, he set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to gather together the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered together for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. 
So at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the horn, flute, harp, and lyre in symphony with all kinds of music, all the people, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the gold image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. They spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever, buttering him up there, good. Verse 10, you, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery in symphony with all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the gold image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? Now, if you are ready at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery in symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made, good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury, and the expression on his face changed toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. And he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and their other garments and were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, because of the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flames of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke, spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire. And the satraps, administrators, governors, and the king's counselors gathered together, and they saw these men on whose bodies the fire had no power. 
The hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of fire was not on them. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him. And they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I may make a decree that any people, nation, or language who speaks anything amiss against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces and their houses shall be made an ash heap because there is no other god who can deliver like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. And so that's an that's a awesome, awesome story. One of the most famous Bible stories probably, you know, in the entire Bible. And uh, so let's just see, you know, what we can, what we can learn from this. Um, first of all, you know, you might be wondering, well, where's Daniel, you know, at this time? And probably... You know, Daniel was at a higher level than Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He, God just had his hand on Daniel, and uh, Daniel will get his trial a little bit later, you know, which is another obviously very famous story, Daniel in the lion's den. And um, so it's not like, you know, Daniel's living some life of comfort and ease and is going to escape, you know, any testings or tryings in his life. But in this particular situation, the three Hebrew children, you know, were... Uh, they had been promoted to, you know, some place of authority. And, um, but for some reason, Daniel, who knows, was off governing someplace, and he wasn't at this uh, time here where the king was um, uh, making this statue, you know. And uh, it's amazing, of course, too, that, that Nebuchadnezzar, you know, he, uh, he, he sort of has already forgotten about Daniel's interpretation of his first dream. You know, he's kind of, back then, remember, he, he was exalting the God of heaven and was saying how marvelous the God of heaven was. Yet, here we have a few years later, you know, he's building a statue to guess who? Himself. <laughs> and guess what he also was saying? He said when they bow down to that statue, they're bowing down to his gods, you know. So, um, uh, as I said before, you know, the world can be very fickle, and one moment they can honor you, the next moment they can throw you in the burning fiery furnace. And uh, so we need to be people, you know, that have our commitment um, to the Lord really no matter what. And, and we'll see, actually, Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 4, um, really, God really touches him. But at this point, it's kind of like, well, you know, okay, you know, he was honoring God back there in chapter 2. Now in chapter 3, he's building a statue to himself. Question. The word what now? Satrap. It's it's a it's it's a word. That is it was a governmental division. Um, actually, all of those there were, um, and I can't remember exactly. Satrap. It, it's a it's a governmental like level. You know, uh, these are these are probably these different lists. This list here. Um, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the man, they represented all the different levels that were within Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom, you know. And so it's a, it's a level of government or a place of service, you know. It's, uh, it's not the, uh, it doesn't have anything to do with the magicians or the, uh, or the astrologers or those guys, you know. That's more like the counselors and, and um, uh, 
I don't even know that necessarily all of them are listed here. You know, um, it refers to them as astrologers and other places and magicians. That would be the worldly type counselors we talked about last time. Uh, but anyway, you know, one thing that uh, even, though, even though there was favor upon these three Hebrew children and Daniel and actually Nebuchadnezzar had given them places of rulership, you know, uh, in the kingdom. Uh, we have to remember that we're dealing in a world system that doesn't know God, and at any given moment, it can turn, you know. And so here's, here's something I like to say. You know, you can be sure that at some time or another, your faith will get you in trouble. <laughs> Just count on it. Just count on it. Your faith will get you in trouble. Now, your faith will get you blessed, too. The favor of God can be upon you and get you blessed. Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were blessed. But guess what? They also ended up in trouble. So uh, your faith <laughs> can get you blessed, and your faith can get you in trouble. And you have to be able to accept both, you know. And uh, there's no doubt, you know, that, that, that in the years ahead, in the days ahead, of course, we're, you know, I believe we're getting closer. I mentioned last time that, that John's vision of the whole mark of the beast and all that, we're the first time now ever in the history of the world that technologically that's even possible, you know. That, that couldn't have happened before now. And so, um, you know, the, the same faith that can, can see God's power work through you and people proclaim your wisdom and all that, that same faith can get you in trouble. But also that same faith that got you in trouble can get you out of trouble. <laughs> and uh, that's the whole, whole lesson, you know, um, of the story here. By the way, Daniel, even though Daniel's not in this story, his, Daniel's name means God is judge. God is judge. And one of the things you, you see about Daniel and the three Hebrew children is they have an unshakable confidence in God, unshakable faith. I'm sure they had their doubts and their fears, but it was deep down inside them. Contrary to Nebuchadnezzar, who wasn't there yet. You know, he honored God a little bit in chapter 2, but in chapter 3, he's already serving himself again, building a statue, you know, to himself. <laughs> he's not a, he's not, see, he didn't build a statue out of gold, silver, and bronze. He just made the whole thing gold. <laughs> in other words, he was just the head in chapter 2. Now he's the whole statue. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, he's obviously got an ego problem. And um, he was a very, very powerful Gentile king, and there's no question he ruled, you know, with absolute authority. Um, some of you have heard, the, have heard the stories of like the Hanging Gardens of Babylon and um, uh, how, how awesome Babylon was. And, uh, of course, in the next chapter we'll see he gets very proud of that. Uh, scholars, archaeologists have estimated that the walls of Babylon were 350 feet high and 87 feet thick. That's big. And so there's no question, you know, he was, that was the wonders, you know, probably of, of the world of his day. But, um, and, you know, so one moment, he, you know, he, the favor of God is, is on these four guys. And then the next minute, you know, their faith is being tested. So um, uh, I just want you to know your faith will at some point get you in trouble. And you've got to make up your mind now. Best time is to make it up now. Make up your mind now that you're going to serve God no matter what, okay? Because that's the place where peace lies. That's the place where ultimate blessing lies. And um, we'll see here as we, we'll pick it up here in verse um, 
16 in just a minute, um, you know, about the confidence of these three Hebrew children. You know, they were not going to be intimidated by the world system around them. They were going to, you know, love and serve God no matter what. Now, a couple other points before we get there. I, I already made the whole point of how easily Nebuchadnezzar changed the whole thing. I mean, this is a huge statue, 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide, so it was very narrow, and uh, that's why this picture of, of this statue here is kind of a, it's kind of a narrow-looking statue that, that the proportions are similar to that. You know, is, is, so he just took this whole statue in his vision, and he made it him. <laughs> and... Uh, you know, very, very egotistical. And uh, uh, so let me see. Let me give you one other thing here as we move on here. So, so King Nebuchadnezzar is making a button. By the way, this is very, um, I want you to think of the social pressure here for a minute. This is very formal. He's calling all the leaders, all the different levels of government. It would be like, an, it'd be like us calling mayors and calling the representatives and the senators and all that. And then there's all this fanfare of music, you know. So it's like there's this huge formal show, you know. And, um, and then it also says all the people. So not only the officials, but there was, there was obviously people there from the kingdom that were invited. And in the midst of that, you know, in the midst of all that fanfare, they're asked to bow down to this statue. Now, I want you to think about the social pressure that probably those people felt. I'm telling you, there's a day coming. There's a day coming. It may not be in our lifetime. It may be, you know. And I, I, I'm, I'm not going to try to, at this point, today, tonight, get into the whole world scenario of what might bring Antichrist on the scene. But there's going to come a point where there's going to be great social pressure in our world for people to bow down and serve another God. And really, this whole story of bowing down to the image of Nebuchadnezzar is prophetic, prophetic of what actually, what really, what physically will happen in the years to come. You know, where we will be asked to worship the beast, which really will be Satan possessing a world leader, and to take the mark of the beast, you know. And it'll be an act of worship. And so that's why, you know, you just have to make up your mind as a Christian, you know, that, I mean, this is a story way in the past, interesting story, but it's got a future application. And, and like I said, it could happen in our lifetime, could not. But uh, we have to make up our mind that, that no matter what, we're going to serve Christ. And um, uh, kind of a modern-day application of this back a few years was World War II when Hitler began to kill all the Jews. There was very few Christians that really had the guts to stand up to Hitler. How many of you have ever heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer? Any of you heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer? He was a German Lutheran, strongly committed man of God who was martyred. You know, they put him in prison and killed him. But he stood up against the uh, uh, Nazi regime. And then there was others, of course, that did it that I think God raised up differently. How many of you have heard of um, Corrie ten Boom? You know, and, and she was used secretly, you know, to help the Jews and uh, risked her life, you know, and that whole thing, I know a lot of you have either seen the movie or read the book. But that's the example of people that are willing to stand for the Lord no matter what's going on in their society and what's going on around them. Do you know right now in Canada, it is illegal to preach that homosexuality is a sin? It's illegal. You can be fined. You can be taken out of your church. 
you can be thrown in prison because of that. And so, you know, they're enforcing it at different levels. But, um, you know, so, and, you know, there's a lot of groups in America that would like to see that law too. Now, thank God there's enough Christian influence in America where that's not happening right now. But, um, and so we as the church, we need to be salt and light, you know, and, and be an influence in our nation and be willing not to, not to you know, our job is not to take just the, the easiest road. Not, not the road of, you know, I believe God can bless us. It's like, what did, I, what, did I, what did I say last week? You know, it seems like either, either you're loved or you're hated, you know. Jesus said either you're for me or against me. And I believe when you're walking with the Lord, you know, it's like one of two things has happened. You're either prospering or you're being persecuted, <laughs> you know, or maybe a little bit of both at the same time. And uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were like that. They were blessed by God. They, were, they had favor upon them, and all of a sudden, the next moment, they're being persecuted. Because of their stand, you know, for the Lord. And it can happen with us the very, the exact same way. There's nothing worse than, than lukewarm. Nothing worse than blasé. You know, what a boring life. But God wants us to believe him for the best, you know, and believe for his favor to be upon us. Make a difference in our land. And also realize there will probably be some times where our faith will get us in trouble. We'll take a little heat. In fact, if you never feel any opposition, you're probably not pushing ahead in the kingdom of God enough because you're not doing anything against the devil. If you push against the devil, he can push back, you know. So, uh, you know, every once in a while our, our faith will get us in trouble and we should not be um, dismayed about that. Let me just give you another re- reference kind of along those lines. 1 Peter 4.12 says, Don't think it's strange concerning the... F- <laughs> You know, good metaphor, concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. You know, so it's amazing that that we get at the very same time, we're also blessed. Also, at the very same time, we're tried and tested because, you know, sin and the world and the devil don't like what we stand for. And uh, so so both happen uh, at once, you know, and it's kind of like somebody said about the apostle Paul, every place he went, there was either revival or riots or both. (laughs) And it it should be kind of like that way with us, you know? And, um, so, uh, and we, you know, we have a great reputation around our community. I mean, people speak very highly of victory, but also every once in a while you'll run into somebody, oh yeah, that's those fanatics out there on Highway Z, you know. <laughs> hey, you get a little bit of both, don't you? <laughs> and that's really, that's a good sign. So anyway, let's take, uh, take, take a look also to it. Um, um, let's go to verse 16. And uh, they're obviously, they're, they're asking the three Hebrew children now to, to bow down. And so in verse 16, it says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Or what the literal Hebrew is more like, we don't need to make a defense. Um, Or another way of saying it is, this really isn't negotiable. You know, we're not going to negotiate here. We are servants of the Most High God. And what is the first commandment of the Ten Commandments? Thou shalt have what? No other gods before me. So we, you know... And if you remember the story of Jesus in Matthew 4, he put up with the devil until the devil said, I'll give you all these kingdoms if you'll bow down and worship me. That's when Jesus got ticked. 
And he said, get behind me, Satan, for thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. See, worship precedes service. Whatever you worship is what you're going to serve. So, you know, that's why we just need to have settled in our heart, you know, in these days that no matter what goes on in America, no matter what laws they pass, no matter what, we're going to be people that serve God. Because if there's any compromise in you at all, then you're, you're, to that degree you'll be ineffectual. You just, it doesn't mean you're self-righteous or religious or legalistic. No, it's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. It doesn't mean you're mean, you know, or anything like that. In fact, if anything, it means you have more love. But it does mean you can't be bought, you know, you can't be compromised, that, that you're going to honor God. And you trust God, and you realize that in the long run, he's going to bless you and take care of you, if not fully in this life, then in the one to come. Okay, so let's pick it up. So they say here, we have no need to answer you. This is really not negotiable. We don't need to make a defense on this. It's just, in some ways, they're almost saying, like, King, you should kind of know where we're coming from. Don't you remember that dream that Daniel interpreted? Don't you remember the God of heaven that you thought so much of just a few years ago? <laughs> you know, we don't, we don't have a need to answer you. You should know what's going on. Verse 17, if this is the case, in other words, if you're going to throw us in this fire, Okay, if you're going to throw us in this furnace for not bowing down, here's what they got to say. Okay, if this is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. So I want you to notice here, too, even as they begin this little thing here, I want you to notice the confidence, the confidence of these three Hebrew children. And God wants us to have that same kind of confidence in him. You know, I mean... You're not going to stand for somebody that you don't love and trust, will you? But if you have a confidence and a love and a trust for God, that's, that's what gives you the strength to stand. I mean, we don't love the devil. We don't, you know, Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, he might even be a nice guy, but he's not our favorite dude. He's not the one who's going to take care of us, you know. So, you know, they have this tremendous confidence. And, and I think I said this last time too. Confidence in God can be very bold, but it's totally different from human pride. Human pride is what Nebuchadnezzar has. That's why he built the statue to himself. And also it's what it, we'll see what he has in chapter 4. But uh, there's a difference between godly confidence and, um, and human pride. In fact, true humility doesn't mean that you walk around saying, Oh, I'm so weak. I'm so poor. I'm just, I'm a worm. I'm no good. That's really, that's not humility. Humility just means you don't trust in yourself. It means you know the value and the, the grace and the mercy and the power doesn't come from you. But when you know that you serve the God of heaven, that's humble, that's humility, but you can also be very confident and very bold at the same time. See, some people think humility and boldness are exclusive. They're not. They go together, you know, because true humility has a bold confidence, not in yourself, you know, but, I mean, proud people are deceived, <laughs> They really think they're something when they're not. And that's what happened to Nebuchadnezzar in his next chapter. You know, but, um, and pride will be the undoing of the nations. Pride will be the undoing of, of the world when it, when it trusts in itself instead of trusting in God. But as Christians, when we trust in God, we can have a, have a bold, bold confidence. And they did. So they said, if that's the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. So realize you serve a supernatural God who could deliver you from the burning fiery furnace. And actually in this case, he did. 
He, he actually did. So, so don't always think that every single time you're going to be martyred, every time you're in trouble that you're going to be martyred, or every time that you find yourself in trouble that, oh, this is the end, you know. No, we need to have confidence in the miracle-working power of God that many times, not every time, we'll see it in just a minute, but many times God will supernaturally the same faith that got you in trouble, he will supernaturally get you out of trouble. And guess what? When you're out of trouble, you'll actually have more than what you had when you went into trouble. See, people that actually try to avoid the trouble actually end up with less. Do you know when you work out, when you go to the gym and you work out, do you know actually that you are destroying muscle cells? You actually destroy muscle cells, you wear them out, and what happens is when your body builds them back, it builds up more cells and stronger cells. When Job came out of his trial, what did it say God did? What did he do? He blessed him with what? Double. See, it's not the trial that makes you stronger. It's what happens to your faith through the trial. If trials made people stronger, then everybody would be giants because <laughs> we all have lots of trials. <laughs> it's not the trial itself that makes you stronger, but, you know, just like it's not the, the weights themselves at the Y that make you stronger. It's, it's, it's your resistance to them. It's your using your muscles. And when you use your faith to stand for God in tests and trials, you come out stronger, okay? And so realize that God's supernatural power wants to help you. But also look what they say here. Our God is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. I love this next phrase. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. So they're saying here, look it, if we die, we're not going to be in your hand anymore. We're gone, man. We are history. We are with Jesus. See, even the Jews in the old covenant had a confident faith in the afterlife. And they had a confident faith in the resurrection. It's all through the Old Testament. And so they said, well, king, if you want to throw us in there, our God's able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, you know, and we will be delivered from your hand. So it's kind of like, well, you know, if we die, we're gone from you. <laughs> you know, we're out of your hand. And so, so they, they, you know, they, they just are, are making a point there. Now, verse 18 says, but if not... Now, what does that mean? Some people say that means, but if God doesn't deliver us. That, that's not what it's referring to. They've already referred to that in the last half of verse 17 where it said, he will deliver us from your hand, O king. That's, that's where they're saying, if we die, we're out of your hand. But he says, but if not, what does that mean? But if not, that means, but if you decide not to throw us in there, maybe because of what we just said. Because if we die, you, have, you, you can't say anything or do anything to us anymore. They say, but if not, in other words, if you decide not to throw us in there, which could be scarier, because to die in an instant in a hot furnace might be easier than if the king let him live, and who knows what he would do to him, right? But he says, but if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. So he gives three possibilities right there and boldly proclaims. He said, he said, you know what? Our God is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. In other words, he could totally protect him. And um, I think probably one scripture that maybe they knew, which was written before this time, is Isaiah. Let's look at it real quickly just for a minute. Isaiah 43, verse, uh, this, is a, 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 this is one of my favorite scriptures when I, when I first became a Christian because I was going through lots of trials. <laughs> I had a lot of problems, and I was a young Christian. 
Isaiah 43, 1 says, But now, thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. That, that, those, those, three, those three passages, three phrases right there, those were like very personal to me when I first got saved. I felt like the Lord just spoke them to me, you know. It was kind of like that little prophetic aspect I gave you on Palm Sunday. He said, fear not, I've redeemed you. I've called you by your, by your name, you're mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. And uh, so that was written before that time. And, and who knows, that's, there's a very good chance that maybe that was verses that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were um, standing on and claiming and listening to. And, you know, you want to do that same thing. You want to, you want to have a lot of the Word of God in your heart so that when you're, when, you're, when you're faced with a test or the trial, that the Holy Spirit has material to bring up in your heart to use to see you through the trial, you know. And um, because we could very easily in the years ahead be living in some of the prophecies that we're going to study in this book, you know, and God wants to give you that strength and uh, that faith. And, of course, these, these Hebrew children have great, great confidence here. And, um, so, and so they boldly declare, you know, God's able to deliver them. And he said, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. So they, they you know, they, they allow the possibility of them being martyred. He will deliver us from your hand. He says, but if not, in other words, you know, that's, that's in contrary to the beginning of verse 17. If that is the case, if you're going to throw us in here, verse 18, but if not, if you don't throw us in, it doesn't matter, king, if you decide not to throw us in, we are not going to bow down to your golden image. So, in other words, serving God is just, hey, you know, they have total trust in God. They realize that God has the best plans and the best purpose for them for both time and eternity. And their total trust is in him. And, um, but I like the, the first thing they said was, he's able to deliver us from the furnace. And in this case, that is exactly what happens. The king throws him in there. Now, I want you to notice in verse 19, it says, Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury. I want you to notice how this, he was, of course, not a spiritual man. I want you to notice that even though these three Hebrew children are very bold, they're, they're, there's a peace about them. You see, when you give your life to God and you decide you're going to serve God no matter what, there's a peace that just comes upon you, a, a confidence, you know. And so King Nebuchadnezzar is out of control. And uh, he gets very angry. And let me tell you something. Anger will make you do stupid things. <laughs> anger will make you do very stupid things. And he gets very, he just, his rage is out of control. It's a mark of the flesh. It's a mark of somebody who's not yielded to God. And so what does he do? He, he, he's, you know, he heats up the furnace seven times hotter. Now, I don't know if that's literal. You know, that's kind of a phrase that, that we use, you know. And, um, uh, but let's put it this way. It was hot, you know. And the way this furnace was built, um, I looked at a picture of this. And uh, the way the furnace was built, it says actually a couple verses down, it says they were thrown down into the furnace. The, the furnace had an open top. And um, they would throw fuel in the top, and then there was a side where the king could actually see into the furnace. There was a side area, and the furnace was probably shaped kind of as a, like a cone. And he, they could look in the side and also clean out the ashes, but you could see into the flames. And so they would throw people into the furnace, and most of the time they would, they would actually take their clothes off or they'd throw them in. They'd throw them in naked. 
But here it says the king's command was so urgent, it actually makes a point that they left their robes and turbans on. And, uh, of course, they bound them up. And uh, it's interesting that the world will tend to persecute you and bind you, but we see the only thing that gets burnt off of them in the trial is the, is the bondages. And so the very thing that the, that the king tried to do in, in binding them, that's the only thing that gets burnt. And so uh, anyway, they, they, the top of the furnace, you know, these guys, that, the big strong guys that throw them in there, the furnace is so hot. Uh, one, one thing I read, the, the scholars felt like probably, you know, they didn't feel it was actually seven times hotter, but they said if, it was, if, if they heated it up about as hot as they could get it, they figured the flames were probably coming out of the furnace about 70 feet. And so they, re, they go to throw these three Hebrew children in there, and as they reach even over there a little bit to throw them in, they die. <laughs> you know, the king, the king kills his own, his own helpers, you know. And so his anger didn't get him very much. But uh, they throw him in there, and, you know, it's so hot, they should have turned into crispy critters. And the king would actually look in the side of the furnace and watch the people suffer. But uh, it's so hot, you know, I mean, they would have just turned into a lump of charcoal. But, uh, what, of course, you know what happens, you know. They're walking around. I mean, they're walking around in there, and their bondages are, are broken off. And uh, the king looks in there, and, of course, he sees, um, you know, uh, in verse 25, it says, I see four men loose, didn't just see three. The fourth, the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. And uh, there's a very good possibility here. This was the pre-incarnate Christ, that that was Jesus. Could have been an angel. We don't know for sure. But I think it is interesting there that it uses the phrase Son of God. So uh, it's very possible that Jesus came in the midst of the flames. And so the good thing to know is whatever trials you go through, Jesus will be with you, you know. And you can't ask for anything better than that. But, of course, the whole message here, you know, is that, uh, that we just need to honor God and, um, and serve him, you know, no matter what. And uh, then, you know, the king, look at verse 29, you know, the king has a change of heart again, you know. He's honoring God in all this stuff. And uh, now it says, um, look at verse 30 now. Then the king promoted, promoted. The literal Hebrew says, if you have it, New King James Version says, cause to prosper. <laughs> Are you getting this? They're going from leaders and prosperity to persecution in the flames, back to prosperity again. I mean, it's like you can't figure out really what's going to happen next, right? And uh, that's where you have to trust God. Both will happen to you in your life. God will prosper you and bless you and give you favor and use you in the world, but you will also have times where you face persecution. Now, the key thing to notice here is that God took care of them. Don't be afraid a persecution. The worst thing that can happen is you'll go to heaven. How many of you know that's not too bad of a deal? You know? So just make up your mind now that no matter what happens in the days ahead, no matter what kind of stuff comes on the earth, that we're not going to be afraid of persecution. There's Christians right now that are afraid just to even speak up on homosexuality and abortion. You know, they can't even handle that. <laughs> what would they do if they were back here? <laughs> You know, I mean, and again, we don't do it in a self-righteous, religious, legalistic way, but we speak up, we honor God, and we say, hey, God is the God of heaven. He's the one who loves you. He's the one who can save you. Who was it that saved them? Jesus. 
walked around the fire, and it said they didn't even smell of the smoke. I mean, they, they, their hair wasn't singed. I mean, what a deal. <laughs> you know, what a deal. So <laughs> I don't know that we can say that it'll happen that great every time, but hey, I'll take that, wouldn't you? <laughs> so we need to have confidence and, and faith in God, and they, did, they actually came out of the trial um, better than they went in. And so uh, I think that's probably probably all I'll say on, on, on that point, all right? Now, let's, let's move on to chapter 4. Anybody have any questions on that? I just, I, that's kind of a basic thing, but it's got great prophetic significance because some of the prophecies that come later in Daniel talk about, you know, where we'll be asked to literally worship a false god. May that be an image of gold, but in, in, in end-time prophecy, it's the beast and the mark and the whole deal. All right. Now, chapter 4. Let's move on to chapter 4. And this is, you know, this is interesting because here's the same king again, Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel, actually, in the book of Daniel, he's under three different kings. Nebuchadnezzar comes first. Now, chapter 4, this is uh, Nebuchadnezzar himself. Now, he's, he's had two powerful experiences with Daniel. Daniel has been, and at, well, actually, the, the one with Daniel and one with the three Hebrew children. I'm sure when Daniel got back from the kingdom, whatever he was doing, he goes, yeah, way to go, guys. Good job, you know. <laughs> so, I mean, we, we know they're all, all four of them have the same heart commitment. But, so, but the king has experienced two things. He's experienced the whole thing with Daniel interpreting his dream, and now he's gone through this with the uh, three Hebrew children. And so chapter 4, he's actually telling the story of how God has touched him and what happened with God touching him. And, you know, I want to say again, the three Hebrew children stood for the Lord. You know, it's interesting. You know, uh, President Bush, he's not perfect. He's a man. You know, he's not perfect. But you know what? Isn't it interesting that, that he came to faith through, a, through Billy Graham? Aren't you thankful for people that are not afraid to speak for the Lord, you know? And so just as, um, in fact, you've probably heard the story of President Bush where, where he, at a certain point in his life, you know, he, was, he quit drinking and, and he committed his life to the Lord and all that whole thing. And, uh, you know, uh, he, he was impacted by the church, by Christians, you know? And so we, we need to not underestimate we need to not underestimate what we can be and do through the church and as God's people. How many believe Victory Church can make a difference in Jefferson County? You believe that? I believe that with all my heart, you know. And it's, it's not by our own ability or that. It's, it's by the power of God, you know. Daniel didn't interpret dreams by his own ability. It was by the power of God. But we need to not underestimate, you know, what we can. I mean, Daniel was promoted highly in the kingdom, you know, and... Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they, after they stood for the Lord, instead of compromising, they were promoted, you know? And, um, I, I, you know, I think, it'd be, I think it'd be good to have lots of high-level officials, and I'd like to see some of you get promoted in Jefferson County, you know, and stuff like that, you know? Maybe Ryan, buy that airport, you know, and do <laughs> have all kinds of Christian influence, and, and, you know, just, I mean, God uses each one of us individually. So, uh, but we need to not underestimate what God can do in us and through us. And so Nebuchadnezzar, actually now in chapter 4, he begins to kind of give a testimony of what God did in his life. So let's pick it up in chapter 4, all right? Nebuchadnezzar the king 
to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. And that's about how much he ruled the whole earth at the time. Peace be multiplied to you. I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for me. How great are his signs and how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. And now, now he starts telling the story. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in my house and flourishing in my palace. I saw a dream which made me afraid, and the thoughts on my bed and the visions of my head troubled me again. Not just natural, but now we're into this spiritual input in a person's life. We all need spiritual input. Verse 6, therefore I issued a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. You know, you, he just, even though, you know, God was touching him, and this is a testimony he's given, but you would think the guy would have learned, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you think he would have called Daniel first? <laughs> I mean, it's old habits die hard, don't they? You know, he's back bringing in his astrologers again, you know. Then the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers came in, and I told them the dream. But they did not make known to me its interpretation. But at last Daniel came before me. His name is Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God. In him is the spirit of the holy God. So in his testimony, see, he said he's given his Babylonian name, and he's kind of still talking about his God, you know. But yet he's acknowledging that in Daniel is the spirit of the holy God. He's just giving his testimony here. In verse 9, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy God is in you, the Holy Spirit, and no secret troubles you, explain to me the visions of my dream that I have seen and its interpretation. These were the visions of my head while on my bed. I was looking, and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong. Its height reached to the heavens, and it could be seen to the ends of all the earth. I mean, that Babylonian kingdom was, was the largest Gentile kingdom of the day. I mean, it was huge, you know, and it was totally unified under Nebuchadnezzar's power. You know, and ever since then, Gentile kingdoms have been not as unified. So he basically ruled the whole earth. You know, it could be seen to the ends of all the earth. Its leaves were lovely, its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. It was a prosperous kingdom. The beasts of the field found shade under it. The birds of the heavens dwelt in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head while on my bed, and there was a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven. He cried aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree and cut off its branches. Strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beast get out from under it and the birds from its branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump and roots in the earth bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field. Let it be wet with the dew of heaven. Let him graze with the beasts on the grass of the earth. Let his heart be changed from that of a man. Let him be given the heart of a beast and let seven times, whenever in the book of Daniel you see the word times, it means years. Let seven times pass over him. The, this decision is by the decree of the watchers and the sentence by the word of the holy ones. In order that the living may know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men gives it to whomever he will, and sets over it the lowest 
of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now you, Belteshazzar, declare its interpretation, since all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation. But you are able, for the spirit of the holy God is in you. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was astonished for a time, and his thoughts troubled him. Now, he's getting the interpretation here from God. And again, Daniel has to be a man of faith and courage because the interpretation is not exactly a great one for Nebuchadnezzar. And see, when, for instance, even now, you know, if we, you know, we need to say certain things to our nation, I mean, I'll be honest with you, I know some pastors that just won't say anything, they'll rock a boat, you know. And if we hear things from God that sometimes we have to say, you just have to say them, you know. You have to be willing to say them, you know, because that's what helps people. Now, so, <laughs> actually, Nebuchadnezzar didn't listen, but, you know, at least Daniel did tell him the truth, and, and thankfully, Nebuchadnezzar did learn after that. But let's, let's go on here, okay? So, uh, Daniel is, uh, let's see, his thoughts troubled him, and he was astonished. So, the king spoke and said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its interpretation trouble you. Belteshazzar answered and said, my lord, Look again how, how Daniel is, is not just a self-righteous, religious guy who's talking down to everybody. He, he respects the king and he honors him. The guy's not serving God yet, but, you know, it's good to use tact. It's good to give honor to where honor is due, you know. Um, and so, you know, we just need to be wise about those kind of things, you know. It doesn't mean you compromise. It just means you, you know, you honor and you respect people. And he said, my Lord, may the dream concern those who hate you. And its interpretation concern your enemies. The tree that you saw, which grew and became strong, whose height reached to the heavens, and which could be seen by all the earth, whose leaves were lovely, and its fruit abundant, and which was food for all, under which the beasts of the field dwelt, and in whose branches the birds of the heaven had their home. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong, for your greatness has grown and reaches to the heavens, and your dominion to the end of the earth. He was at head of gold. And inasmuch as the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave its stump and roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field, let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let him graze with the beasts of the field till seven times pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my lord the king. They shall drive you from men, your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make you eat grass like oxen. They shall wet you with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. And inasmuch as they gave the command to leave the stump and roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be assured to you after you come to know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my advice be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by being righteous and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. There's a great tendency of people that have power to forget the poor and, and to misuse and, and, and abuse their power. Somebody said absolute power corrupts absolutely, you know. And so without God, I would say that's definitely true. Okay, perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. 
And so that was a great, that was, you know, here, here's King Nebuchadnezzar faced with his interpretation that he's going to basically be made insane, be, live with the animals, you know, for seven years. This, that, that's what, and you know, whenever God gives a prophecy of judgment, there's almost always a chance for the people to repent. I believe there's time right, right now for America to turn back to God. You know, I believe there's time. God's, God's giving our nation time, and I believe a lot of it, a lot of what's going to happen in our nation rests in the hands of the church. And even though we're in a time of very degraded Gentile power, I believe our nation, you know, in the midst of that, can rise up and make a difference for God. But, uh, you know, a lot, of, a lot of times people don't realize how important these things are. And listen to this, verse 28. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, here's how it comes. He's, he's telling the story. At the end of the 12 months, 12, this is a year later, a year after Daniel interprets that, and he hasn't changed. He's not repented. He's not turned to God. You know, he's probably closer than he was back a couple chapters, you know, last chapter. You know, at least he's not throwing anybody in the furnace right now. But, you know, he still has not turned and uh, is not serving God. And, um, you know, I, I would have to say, you know, even, even in our nation, you know, there's a lot of good things going on, but there's, there's some areas where our nation needs to turn too, you know, turn to God. And so look at this. At the end of 12 months, he's walking about the royal palace of Babylon. The king spoke, saying, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling? By my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty. I mean, he's walking in absolute pride. We've done this. I've done this. Like I said to you, archaeologists say the walls of Babylon were 350 feet high, 87 feet thick. The hanging gardens. I mean, he was a powerful king. But the fact of the matter was, he, he, it, only because God had allowed him to do it. You know. But he thought he had done it. Well, what do we have happening in America today? We have, well, you know, we're, we're such a great nation and we have democracy and all that. But what are we, are, are we, here's the thing, here's the key, here's the difference between pride and confidence. Is America right now acknowledging that it's God that gave us the power to get this wealth? Is America right now acknowledging that it's God that blessed us with democracy and freedom? No. As a matter of fact, right now, what are we doing? Taking prayer out of schools, trying to take God out of the Pledge of Allegiance. I mean, we're, and so what does that leave, you know? Our hand. <laughs> Let me tell you something. The same thing can happen to us that happened to Nebuchadnezzar, you know, <laughs> unless we repent, you know. And so here's this. It goes on here. And so right, it says in verse, in verse 30, the king spoke, saying, Is not this great Babylon that I have built? In verse 31, it says, While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. This was the fulfillment. And they shall drive you from men. Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen. And seven times shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. I mean, it's an honor that God has allowed us as America to be a free nation and to, to have what we have in the Word of God and to glorify Him. And so we, we do need, we need to honor Him. In fact, the National Day of Prayer coming up, May 5th, I hope you all come to that. 
Five, five, oh, five. Five, five, on, oh, five. Pray for five on the five things, on, oh, five. <laughs> anyway, it, it works this year really good. Five, five, oh, five. But, uh, you know, I'm actually going to have, I'm going to be doing like a call to prayer. And one of the things I'm going to be saying is I'm going to be challenging Christians that we have to, in love, quit being afraid to acknowledge God. And we need to help our nation to once again acknowledge the God of heaven who has blessed us. Not walk in pride and think that we built this great nation, but to acknowledge God. He's the one who prospers us. He's the one who blesses us. He's the one who gives us power to get wealth. He it is that also helps us walk in righteousness. And, uh, in fact, you might write down a verse. I don't have time to go there because we're, we're really out of time. But Ezekiel 14, verses 14 and 20, it declares that Daniel walks in the righteousness. It, it puts Daniel, Noah, and Job. Noah was a great man of God. So was Job. But Daniel, Noah, and Job, God calls all three of those very, very righteous men, you know. And we have righteousness in Christ. And Nebuchadnezzar fell for the great temptation that Satan gave him in the garden. You shall be as gods. Nebuchadnezzar set himself up as a god. And so uh, as America, we need to stay humble and serve God. Then God can bless us and use us. And so anyway, um, uh, this, I think in this particular, how many of you ever heard the phrase, someone needs to be cut down to size? I think that's what happened here. Nebuchadnezzar got cut down <laughs> to size. And um, let's just finish it up here. Okay, and uh, verse 33, that very hour the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men and ate grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. Any of you ever run into somebody like that? You ever seen somebody, either in an institution or some other place, who their hair had grown completely long, totally unkempt, and their fingernails just not, not cut at all? Any of you ever seen somebody like that? A lot of times that's a sign, you know, and I think this is kind of what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. In his pride, what happened was he really, you, scholars a lot of times say he became insane. That, that could be what happened, sort of. But also what I think happened is basically he just literally became demon-possessed. Pride leads people to the, I mean, when, you, when you're humble, then God is there to help you. Pride leads people to the only other source of spiritual power, the devil. And Nebuchadnezzar in his pride literally became demon-possessed. And when someone in their pride, and you know, I believe there are obviously many physiological mental illnesses. But I can tell you what, there's a lot of people in institutions today that are in there and that are demon-possessed for one reason and one reason only, because they have not yielded their life to God in their own pride, whether it be, there's two kinds of pride. There's the cocky pride and then there's the self-deprecatory pride where you put yourself down, but it's still pride. It's trying to do it yourself. It's claiming it for yourself instead of yielding to God, and you go nuts. Just, I used to work, when, when I was a younger Christian, we used to work with a lot of rehabilitation type people. People are coming out of drugs, coming, off of, uh, coming out of um, alcoholism and things like that. And uh, we actually, I worked on a, a place where we would take them in. It was like a, a, like a, a farm or a halfway, kind of like what Teen Challenge is. 
And uh, I, we, we ministered to a lot of kids and a lot of, uh, you know, anywhere from 13 to 25, you know, that, uh, that would be like this. I'm serious, just like this. We'd get them, long nails, long hair, you know, unkept. And, and, and a lot of times they, were, they just, demons were working in their life. But, but you go back to the, a lot of them were just normal kids. But the bottom line was they had, they had you know, somehow they, maybe they had been hurt, you know, or maybe they got rebellious, you know. But the bottom line was they just needed to yield their life to God and, and humble themselves before God and say, you know what, God can help me. God can help me. We had one situation where we used to actually, we had some cows and pigs, and we, we actually would milk the cows, and we had some pigs and we had some chickens. We didn't have much money back then. But, uh, you know, there was one guy who came in, and this was, it was about 11 o'clock at night. He had, he had actually run out of the house and gone up to the pig pen where, where we, had, we had two pigs up there. And, I mean, every animal on the place was squawking. The chickens were squawking. The cows were, were mooing. The, the pigs were oinking. I mean, the whole place was going crazy. It was really supernatural. Something, it was just like craziness going on, you know. And, and then we realized this guy was gone, so we, we go out and start looking for him, you know, several of the staff. And um, we found him in the pig pen. In the pig pen. And uh, you remember the story, of course, in the Gospels of the, of the guy running around the catacombs who was demon-possessed, you know. And when he submitted his life to God, he got delivered and was in his right mind. Nebuchadnezzar was in his wrong mind, you know. He was walking in pride, and, and God just let the devil have at him for a while. But anyway, so we, we go up there, and this guy's in the pig pen, and so we find him, you know, and we say, hey, man, you know, you need to come back. And, and we knew something spiritual was going on. So when we started talking to him, he, he spoke in a very deep voice, and <laughs> here's the epitome of pride. Listen to this, okay? Here's what came out of his mouth. He said, we are going to take over this place. <laughs> and we looked at him and said, no, you're not. You can't take over this place because Jesus already rules this place, you know. And so, but that's, that's what happens when people walk in pride you, they, and, and refuse to, to give their heart to the Lord. They can just do crazy things. And in this particular situation, God just allowed Nebuchadnezzar to, you know, I, I think, you know, so like I said, some scholars said he became insane. I think he, he literally, you know, became demon-possessed. The good news, of course, is he didn't stay there. And verse 34 says, at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my understanding returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me. And for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and splendor returned to me. My counselors and nobles resorted to me. I was restored to my kingdom. Now watch this. An excellent majesty was added to me. He became a greater leader after he was restored than he was before. And... Uh, so again, through his trial, God blessed him on the other side when he honored God. Now, now listen, I love verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. 
all of whose works are truth and his ways justice. And he's talking about himself here. And those who walk in pride, he is able to put down. Hallelujah. You know what the Bible says? It says, humble yourself before the Lord and he will what? Raise you up. So how many of you know it's, it's not us that has the power to do great things in our life, but it's God in us. God through us, you know. And so Nebuchadnezzar learned this lesson. You know, there's a lot of Gentile kings, Gentile rulers that could stand to learn this lesson today. And, you know, what we need to do is be an agent. I thank God for our president who, through Billy Graham, has realized that he needed the help of God. You know, we need to continue to pray that our leaders in our nation will look to the help of God, not walk in pride, you know, because God is able to do this, you know. He can, he can, he can jerk the slack out there, you know, whenever he wants to. But when we honor him and when we walk in humility, then he is able to do great things in our life. Some Bible scholars feel that during the time, those seven years, that Nebuchadnezzar was kind of nuts, that Daniel was the one who protected him. That Daniel actually ruled Babylon, took care of Babylon, while God was dealing with Nebuchadnezzar. That Daniel actually hid him those, those seven years, watched over him, because in, you, you know all the plots that go on in, in nations to assassinate leaders. He, Nebuchadnezzar would have been a prime target for assassination at that time. And there's scholars that believe Daniel watched over Nebuchadnezzar, knew what God was doing in his life, you know, because of the dream. And um, instead of rejecting him, but actually took care of him. And then when God raised up Nebuchadnezzar again, then he once again was the ruler of his kingdom. Isn't that cool? How many of you know? Let me see once again. How many of you believe we can make a difference? Yeah. All right. Well, did you guys get anything out of this? All right. So you can see, you know, uh, there's some great lessons in here about walking with God and um, uh, serving the Lord, you know, and how, how he can bless us. But at the same time, we have to have such a confidence in us, you know. And this is Old Covenant. This is Old Covenant. Guess what? Under the New Covenant, you know, they had God in them and on them and around them. And, and actually, Nebuchadnezzar said, in you is the spirit of the holy God. And I'm sure that was a gift to Daniel. But how many of you know that us as born-again believers, God, we were talking about this right before class, you know, that, that Jesus can live in every one of us. Amen? So we even have a greater, a greater ability. So any questions? I've already kept you over a little bit. It's hard to get through all this, you know. <laughs> any questions? Comments? Okay? So some of this is a precursor to what we could even see. Uh, in the days ahead. And um, let's be like Daniel. Let's be like the three Hebrew children. Let's honor God no matter what and believe God for great things. Amen? God bless you. Have a great night. Go in peace.